What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Big Shots NFL Draft Podcast. I am your host, Mike Hernishan, joined, as always, by my colleague over at Blue Chip Scout and Devin Jackson. Before we hear from Devin, we just want to apologize. Last week's podcast was recorded, but Skype decided to go ahead and just not let Devin download the file properly. So it got lost, which is um, why you didn't hear from us last week. Um, you did, if you haven't had a chance, go check out that Rhett Lewis interview I did. Uh, Rhett was awesome. Spent about 15 minutes talking with me about, uh, just the business, Indiana, uh, working with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Uh, just really great content. But moving on to this week, let's hear from the man himself. Devin, how you doing? Doing pretty good, man. Uh, like I said, another week, uh, like, as I say every week, another week to, to talk about sports, man. Uh, we're, we're getting closer, closer to potential football season. We'll see. Once again, it's up in the air as we go. Uh, kind of consistently changes every week. We have something different news every week. Uh, so we had the Miami Marlins, uh, players and coaches as positive. So right now we're just kind of sitting on edge trying to figure out what's going to happen with that, but, uh, excited to talk ACC again. <laughs> we did it over two days last week. So. I think it will be fresh in our minds this week, and we should be good to go in terms of releasing it. Yeah, last week was just not a good week for us because we, we were recording and everything was going fine, and then something came up, and we had to record the next day, and then it just completely fell apart. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yes, this is the abbreviated version of my ACC preview, which is available on bluechipscouting.com. It's been available for about a week now. So if you haven't checked that out, you really, really should. Also check out the Big Ten one um, that was posted last week, too. So what we're going to do, uh, we're going to go through basically my rankings of the teams, uh, 1 through 14, talk through uh, about each of them uh, from a prospect standpoint, and uh, then we'll get out of here because, um, well, we've already done this podcast once, so it should be fresh in our mind. We shouldn't. Uh, we should be able to kind of breeze through this. I think we lost about an hour and a half of content when we yeah. <laughs> when we yeah, lost we that did. one. For sure. So, Devin, I don't know about you. I think Clemson might be the best team in the conference. Uh, maybe I, I don't know, man. Uh, they, <laughs> you know, they made it to national championship game with. Three, four times in the last five, six years, you know, I, I don't know, man, though, the writing's still on the wall. Uh, you know, the coach kind of an asshole. Uh, but it, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, I, wasn't, I was not expecting that. That was amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, so they, uh, they got, they got Take this the guy. First they, curse word for the podcast up to Devin and not for me for once. <laughs> yeah, so they, they got this long hair guy at quarterback, uh, Sunshine. Some people call him. Uh, he's all right. You know, he's he's been projected as a number one pick for about two, three years now. Uh, so, you know, got him. We got a running back that probably would have went first or second round last year in this past draft. Uh, but, you know, maybe he'll do the same again this year. Some people have has him, has him as RB1. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. He, he's definitely a top top three player running back. Uh, and, you know, we, we got, we got you know, Jackson Carmen and, uh, at the offensive tackle for Clemson, you know you got a you got a lot of guys. Uh, every year you're gonna have Clemson with a bunch of guys, bunch of guys uh, coming in, kind of raising up the stock. We had you know Isaiah Simmons, of course, last year, the big name for Clemson. Uh, but you know this year it's got a, a whole new crop of receivers. Uh, no Justin Ross, so uh, it should be interesting to see what's gonna happen. Uh, you know this year with Clemson in terms of 
offensive production and who they're going to rely on. Uh, of course, ETN and Lawrence are going to be a big part, but the other pieces are going to be the interesting part for Clemson's offense. Yeah, like you mentioned, uh, Trevor Lawrence probably consensus QB1 for 99.9% of people, although I'm sure there's someone out there that thinks that uh, Jamie Newman is QB1. Um <laughs> Travis Etienne, I have him as an RB3 uh, in this class. Uh, really good speed threat, really good return threat. Still needs to work a little bit on uh, in the passing game. Uh, he's you know still two years removed from saying he was afraid of it. Uh, Amari Rogers is going to be their lead receiver this year, and I'm not entirely sure how to feel about that. Um, kind of screams like day three type guy uh, to me, considering Justin Ross was supposed to be the guy but had to get neck surgery, uh, so he's out for the year. He could always declare, but, I mean, that's a big-ass risk. Uh, Jackson Carmen, uh, kind of unrefined, 6'5", 345. Just, uh, I think our guy Mello, I refer to him best, he's Trevor Lawrence's bodyguard. And uh, you got to be pretty good at that in order to keep that job, because I, I guarantee you, um, like, you can't swap out the dude from Florida State playing left tackle and put him. Oh, in. absolutely not. No. By the way, I couldn't tell you who Florida State's starting left tackle is because uh, Florida, Florida State had had a know. good offensive lineman in six years, <laughs> maybe more. It's been a while. Um, yeah, like their offense has some proven commodities. Their defense is a gigantic question mark, which is a challenge for Brent Venables, who has had just studs. For years, I mean, you think about that that year. Remember a couple years ago when the hype was that like uh, Clemson had four future uh, first round defensive linemen. Now, yeah, obviously, Cleveland Farrell went first round. Uh, Dexter Lawrence went first round. Christian Wilkins went first round, and then Austin Bryant went where he should have gone in like round three or round four. Because well, Austin Bryant sucked, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm putting that nicely. He he was not good. Uh, I think I had him in around, like, round four. But I, people are like, oh, yeah, he's a first-rounder. I'm like, no, he's not. No, he's not. Um, yeah, there's a lot of question marks on, on this year's team. Uh, you want to look at the edge uh, rusher, Xavier Thomas. This is a guy that was a fourth overall uh, um, player in the nation, according to, to ESPN, coming out of high school, behind Justin Fields, who was number one, Trevor Lawrence, who was number two. And I have the name here. Iabi and Noma. Now, I, do, I, I vaguely remember that name because I know he played for Alabama for a short period so of time. When writing my preview, I found that out. I had no idea who this kid was, so I, I googled him. He was redshirted at, at Alabama, then he transferred to Houston, and then he got kicked off the team. So, I mean, at least he's done better than one. But I mean, yeah. he did really well in spurts as a true freshman. And then last year as a sophomore, when they asked him to pick up and be... Unfortunately, he went from being a rotational you know, pass rusher behind Bryant and Cleveland Farrell to, you're our main source of pass rush. And he was not ready for that. Not at all. Um, he's a developmental guy at this point. He really needs a consistent year uh, this year. Now, I don't know if the ACC has said whether they're going conference only, but I think they might be. I'm pretty sure they are. Um, I, I don't sure remember seeing. No. I, I don't uh, remember it being confirmed or not, but I'm pretty sure they're they're going to all conference. I, I I need to see him do more, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, I feel like that's a general consensus for everyone. Uh, you want to see him do more, 
yeah. kind of unlock his potential a little bit Same more. with Darian Kendrick, who, I mean, is known for uh, – sorry, the corner Darian Kendrick. He's known for being the dude that yeah. – uh, uh, was it Garrett Wilson? Uh, the, the Yeah, the Ohio State – yeah, Ohio State kid Garrett Wilson jumping like 37 feet into the air to just moss him uh, in, in the semifinal. Um, I mean, he's okay. He's a converted wideout. Um, you know, only started playing corner last year, so still a lot left to learn. Uh, the one that I think might have the, the, the highest floor is the linebacker, Jan Skalski. Kind of reminds me a bit of Joe Bocci, minus the PEDs. Um, but that same style of player where, like, if he gets his hands on you, you're just going to the ground. He's not an exceptional athlete. He's not great in coverage. He's just really good at racking up tackles. And those, those guys go in, like, round four, round five. The problem is, is, like, how much upside does he really have? The problem yeah, with Clemson's defense as a whole is that they have upside with guys like Thomas and Kendrick. Those guys have incredibly low floors. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're talking about the, the linebacker. Uh, it, you know, you, you never know uh, with linebackers, to be honest. It's like either it's like you're a transcendent talent that, you know, can not only come downhill but uh, work in pass coverage, uh, but just an a exception, exceptional athlete. He's definitely a, a run stopper, definitely someone that can fit – you know, the right reads and, and helps. He, he's always playing in front of a, a very talented defensive lineman that gets a consistent push uh, on a down-to-down basis. So it'll, it'll be remain the same. But, yeah, like you said, Xavier Thomas still very raw, uh, same as Kendrick. So, you know, uh, we got Trevor Lawrence and ETN, but pretty much the rest of Clemson is kind of remains to be seen. So we'll see what happens with them this year. Definitely. Uh, moving on to team number two, the North Carolina Tar Heels. I did not expect them to do as well as they did last year with Mac Brown. Did you? No, not at all. I thought it was going to be at best five and seven for an eight year, but somehow they they just kept. I mean, they had Clemson on the ropes. They they should have won that game. You know, they should have beat Clemson. There's a couple other games that they lost down the stretch. I want to say they lost to uh, Wake Forest, maybe. I think so. I think. So, it, I mean, they, they were very close from being a, a very, very good team. And uh, instead of going like 7-6, and six, maybe 8-4, eight and 8-5, uh, somewhere around that range. But, yeah, they, I mean, obviously, you know, they're gonna, it's still going to be a work in progress. I think, you know, after all the success they had last year, you know, still going to be a growing year for them, still trying to figure them out. I don't expect them to make the next step maybe until the next year or the year after, but they're going to be exciting to watch again this year. See, here's the thing. I do expect them to take that next step. I think that they're the next team in line after Clemson this year, mostly because the ACC is terrible. Uh, we can all pretty much agree that in terms of quality of football and lopsidedness, uh, the ACC is the worst of all the Power Fives. Because, like, when you think about it, the Pac-12, there are, like, five teams that are always in contention in the Pac-12, and usually one surprise team as well. You look at the SEC, there's always... Alabama, there's always Auburn, Georgia, uh, Florida. Like, there's four or five teams every year that you can expect. Meanwhile, you know, realistically, Alabama is going to win the SEC. They're just going to get some stiff competition along the way. You look at the Big Ten. You know that Ohio State is more than likely going to win the conference. But Penn State, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, those are going to be, Iowa, those are going to be the teams that push them. We've seen for years that there's nothing pushing Clemson. Like, Louisville had a hot year or two. Florida State had a hot year or two. Uh, 
North Carolina State had a hot year. <laughs> it's like, there's nothing. So I think North Carolina, they're on the weaker side of the conference. They don't have to go up against Clemson every year. They're, they're up against, like, the Virginias, Virginia Techs, Georgia Tech. They're up against that side of, uh, you know, of the conference. They have a pretty easy path to a conference championship. They got to beat, what, Wake Forest? Uh, but yeah. let's talk I about think, let's I, talk. I think the Wake Forest uh, good years anomaly. I think oh, yeah. will be back to so, their, so let's, their normal. Let's talk about um, North Carolina. It starts with the quarterback, because even though he's not draft eligible, Sam Howell is a monster. This dude came in and in the first year of his career is already sitting like sixth all time in career passing touchdowns. Uh, actually, I think I, I have it right here somewhere. Jeez, uh, hang on. Yeah, yeah. He's sixth all time for career passing touchdowns after his freshman year. He's 11th all time in uh, passing yards for a career after one year. He had the second best passing yard total in program history. All of those records are going to belong to Sam Howell at the end of at the end of his career in Chapel Hill. All right, he might be the best quarterback for 2022, but we can't really talk about him too too much. But the offense kind of runs yeah, for him. I mean, it revolves around him. His two uh, dynamic receivers, Diami uh, Brown and Daz Newsom, they, they rely on Howell to make the throws that he's making, uh, and both of them are exciting. I think they're oh one yeah, of the, they're really they're, good. They're one of the, the better duos in college football in, in terms of receiving duos. Um, but, yeah, I mean, North Carolina's offense is, is exciting. I mean, we really haven't seen him put up numbers since this was quarterback, and that was oh, a one-year uh, anomaly. Uh, I mean, it, you, you really can't think of North Carolina quarterbacks, Alex Trubisky, that have been successful or really had uh, hype around them in, in quite some time, so. It's interesting to see for sure for North Carolina. They finally have a quarterback that should and deserves to be in, hopefully, in, in the top five quarterbacks. Uh, being selected as a top five quarterback, unlike Trubisky. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for their offense. I'm excited to see uh, what Brown and uh, Newsom do this coming year. I think they're both um, obviously very good deep threats. They're I think I like Brown a little bit more as a as a more polished receiver compared to like Newsom. Uh, I think he's more of a, a type of a gadget player, you know, speed guy, um, take the top off of uh, offenses. So uh, I'm I'm excited to see what this will bring for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Deami Brown is more of their downfield threat. They just kind of throw it up. Uh, he's a big he's a bigger body dude. I think he's like six two or so. Um, and like, uh, around like 280. Uh, he's a junior, so it'll be interesting to see whether he declares. Um, Daz Newsom is kind of their, their, their like yards after catch threat. Uh, they just kind of use him as a bit more of a gadget player, but he is pretty refined as a receiver. And considering the guy could not see the ball until he, his junior year, um, yeah, he had laser eye surgery and, uh, is one of the reasons why he can, uh, he had just a breakout year last year, uh, and adding Sam Howell into that definitely helped. Uh, they got a decent running back in Michael Carter. Um, you know, he only saw three touchdowns last year, but he's got really good vision. Uh, we're not going to see any, like, Trent Richardson-style vision errors. Uh, I mean, he's a very patient runner, um, lets his blocks develop before attacking a hole. Um, you know, 
And North Carolina did not have the, let's say, let's be really blunt here, they didn't have the best offensive line. But, I mean, he still had 1,000 yards last year. Uh, but, I mean, the, the real the real draft star for North Carolina is on defense. Chaz Surratt. Our, our guy, Dante Colinelli, has him as a first-round player. And I'll, I'll say this. If, if Jordan Brooks can go round one, then, like, Chaz Surratt can go top ten. Like, I'm not kidding. Uh, I mean, after Seattle pretty much did the unthinkable like they do every year in the draft. Thank God they don't have a first-round pick for the next couple years. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Jamal Adams was traded. Uh, yeah. I mean, anything's possible. I, I definitely see it with uh, Sprat. I think that he has the, the skills. He's still kind of learning uh, kind of the position and learning how to still be a linebacker after being a quarterback for so long. Uh, but the upside is there. I'm definitely excited to see uh, him grow as a player, uh, grow as a, a linebacker and, and fitting in kind of North Carolina scheme. I think that, you know, if he has another really breakout season, I think he could be one of those linebackers we start talking about. Uh, seriously, obviously, Micah Parsons, Dylan Moses are the clear-cut favorites to, to be, you know, the, the top two guys. But, you know, you got Nick Bolton, Chester Brad some of those other guys uh, that are still kind of being talked about as potential, you know, first-rounders, uh, fringe first-rounders, maybe second-rounders. So, uh, you know, a lot to like from him. I think that he'll grow as he's playing the position. Uh, yeah, give him another year to develop, and we'll really see what he's about. Yeah, definitely. I think I think North Carolina could be in store for, like, a big 9 or 10 win season. Uh, I mean, because that recruiting pipeline – it's just getting stronger and stronger with Mac Jones. I don't know what he's doing in order to get these kids to come to Chapel Hill to, you know, to play football, but it's, it's clearly working. Now, if you want to talk about, honestly, the most high-end talent in the class, it might be Pitt, which is who I have in third. Um, I mean, sure, is Kenny Pickett really going to blow anyone away when watching him? No. He's, he's like a, you know fourth, fifth round type developmental quarterback, maybe you can get something out of him. I feel like he's been in college forever. I feel like he's been in college for like seven years. Yeah, he, he's definitely one of those players that he's just been around for so long. Uh, injuries and all that, he just keeps showing up. Uh, so yeah, it's feel like he's been around forever. I mean, a couple years ago we were talking about him. So, I mean, he he's only a solid, I think a solid backup quarterback probably in the NFL. I don't, I don't really see any starter traits for him, but I don't think we're really we're too much keyed in on their offense. It's really the defensive side of the ball where a lot of their really talented high end guys lie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, James Morrissey, their their center again. You know, kind of a you know day three type player. It's the defense. Let's just talk about Pitt's defense. All right. The only reason I really care about watching Pitt this year is because of that defense. I- I'm sorry. Um, Jalen Twyman, interior defensive lineman one. Yes, come at me in my mentions. Bring it on. He's the best defensive lineman in the class. I'm, I, we'll, we'll get into the other one that's always talked about as defensive lineman one, but let's talk about Jalen Twyman for now. Listen, pass rush from the interior has never been more important. Jalen Twyman is a pass rush specialist. He's a little undersized, 6'2", 290. You know who else was an undersized guy coming out of pit playing defensive tackle? I know. I've made this comparison in an article. I've made this comparison in the first version of this podcast, and I'm making it now, yes, I am not saying he's going to be the second best player 
you know, in the NFL uh, outside of uh, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I am saying that um, you probably shouldn't write him off because when I watch 21-year-old Jalen Twyman, I see a lot of 21-year-old Aaron Donald. All right? Yeah, that's right. I said it. A t- a word to our friend uh, Mark Schofield, when you have a sizzling hot take, you put it in a pod. All right? That way, what are you going to do? You're going to clip me and, and put it up on Twitter? Go for it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, free we're having publi- a, free yeah. publicity. Let's go. Um, listen, he watched the Duke game. All right. He didn't, he didn't really get home as much in that game. Cause I mean, he's a sack artist, but like legitimately their center, Jack Wollabaugh, who is talked about as like a day two, day three center, just had his hands full with Twyman and just got owned on a rep to rep basis. <laughs> uh, all right. He just, speaking of the Duke game, the guy who dominated that Duke game was the edge rusher, uh, Pat Jones, the second. All right. That dude is like a trip to Costco when he's at his best because he's just he's just piling up sacks in bulk. All right, three against um um against Duke. I think he had like two or three against Miami. Like here's the thing: game to game consistency is Patrick Jones's weakness. I feel like I could say that about most of the edge rushers in this class. I, I think much. that's safe to say. Yeah, but I mean, when this dude is on, like, listen. Pat Jones is either going to get you one pressure and no sacks all game, or he's going to get you eight pressures and three and a half. Like, it, there's ri- the variance is ridiculous with him. Yeah, it definitely needs to work on consistency, but a lot to like on their defensive line. I mean, Twyman, uh, to me, I got him as uh, inside defensive lineman, too. Uh, I, I think You're scared to guy. be great. You are scared to be great. <laughs> I think I, I got the other guy we're going to talk about is uh, inside defensive lineman one. Um, By the but, way, Patrick Jones is edge two. All right, no further questions. <laughs> I won't go that far, but I do like I do like Patrick Jones. I think he's he's going to be a really good player and someone I, I to talk about. This. And the edge the edge class is a complete crapshoot, including edge one, who we'll talk about in a bit. Edge one through like eight are like so. so all right, hang on. Edge one. Then there's a bit of a dip off. Edges two through eight are like razor thin. Like one good week could throw off the balance with these guys. It is that close. The edge class is a crapshoot. They have another guy on the other side, Rashad Weaver, who's a good pass rusher in his own right. I just haven't really dug into his tape a lot. I think one of my favorite players in this class is the pit safety, Paris Ford. That dude hits like Cam Chancellor despite being like six foot and 190. The the pit safety uh, Paris Ford, uh, he comes flying downhill like a uh, shot out of a missile, shot out of a cannon. Uh, I see that play. I think you posted it. You were one of the first to post it. Like where he just yeah. sent it flying. Yeah, I, I've seen it probably like ten times since <laughs> since seeing that the first time. Great. Yeah, I think it was either you or Carter. I think maybe Carter was yeah, one of the two of us. But yeah, he, he's he's very talented, great range. Um, definitely something we got to talk about is one of the top safeties being drafted uh, in, in this upcoming. He's useful in coverage. Three forced fumbles, three picks, and he's first team all chirp. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, he he definitely definitely talks on the field. You you definitely see that. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited about. Just uh, maybe don't get ejected in the in the quick lane bowl against Eastern Michigan for punching the quarterback. Like. <laughs> I think it was Mike Glass at third or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, he's on my list. Yeah, 
Um, I watched that. I'm like, dude, why are you punching a dude in a bowl game against? Like, it's not. A, it was, it, dude. It's a quick lane bowl. Like, it's being watched by like nobody except us. Like, um, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Let's let's talk about Miami. All right. The U is never back. Like they said, the U is basically East Coast Texas. All right. It, kind of the every year we always hear about how Miami's going to be back and. You know, we heard it when Brad Kaya was the quarterback. We heard it with we've heard Terrible. it. With, we've heard it with all these guys. That, I remember Jacory Harris. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know, oh Miami's finally going to be back this year, and they're not. They never are. I think they made it to. I, I I can't remember how many years ago this was. I think this might have been Brad Kaya's last year there. But like they went into a game against Clemson and just got like mud stomped, like sixty three oh, yeah. to nothing or something. Like it was horrible. they just got absolutely fucking embarrassed. Um, pardon my language. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even realize I cussed. Um, but yeah, they just got like absolutely embarrassed. And then like, can can we talk about Tate Martell and just how laughable that looks just a year later? They built it up like this was going to be the guy coming from Ohio State, and it was like. Wow, this dude is awful. Like, truly terrible. This dude has no NFL future. This dude doesn't have a college future. He's been replaced by De'Eric King, who is like five foot seven. This dude makes Kyler Murray look like Brock Osweiler by comparison in terms of size. Um, but the rest of that team, listen, if you want to talk Miami, you do not need to talk about their offense outside of Brevin Jordan. All right. This well, is a- they they did announce that uh, Derek King is going to be the starter. Yeah, I, I I've seen some people comp him to like Kyler Murray, and that I mean, as someone who is admittedly low on Kyler Murray, that's disrespectful to Kyler. Um, if you want to talk about their their offense, it begins and ends with Brevin Jordan, the kind of bigger version of Evan Ingram. Um, I like him as like a like. Kind of like that big slot role, that Jordan Reed type uh, tight end. I think that's actually a pretty decent uh, comparison for him. But like, you're probably taking him top 50, top 60 picks. Uh, don't ask him to block because he's not going to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like we're talking about like a second round player, that, and that's that's good for Miami's offense. They haven't really had that. Yeah. I think there's a considerable drop off after uh, Pat Fryermuth one, and then to uh, Kyle Pitts. Then it's a drop off, and then it's Kyle. Uh, I mean, Brevin Jordan. Uh, he's good. Um, really like his receiving ability. I think he has a ton of upside, but I think that he uh, man can't block. <laughs> I mean, man cannot block. Uh, I mean, that's well documented. But I think he's still extremely talented. Uh, funny is that he. Did he play? Did he play with Tate Martell? Uh, did, well, Tate Martell played wide receiver last year. So, no, I meant like in high school. I think maybe. I think Brevin Jordan went to Bishop Gorman. I could be wrong. Maybe he went to IMG. I can't remember. Uh, but I remember hearing that name. Let me. See. Yeah, yeah. He he did go to Bishop Gorman. I think they played together. I could be wrong. Uh, I could be wrong. So this is great podcasting. Um, maybe. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure he did. I mean, if he's a junior this year, they have to play. I think they play together. We're going to go with that. Um, 
This and is the now, most that anyone's talked about Tate Martell in about a year and a half. Let, yeah. yeah. Uh, so now Tate Martell doesn't even play quarterback anymore. So that's there goes that ship. Uh, which is funny. This is unrelated, but <laughs> like Bishop Gorman made Dorian Thompson Robinson play receiver in high school, and now DTR is still quarterback. Tate Martell is a receiver. So uh, despicable. All right, let's yeah. talk about Miami's defense. Let's talk about Miami's defense. Uh, edge one, Gregory Rousseau? Pretty much, yeah. I, I don't five. see... Sorry. He, I've, okay, hang on. I have no idea how big Greg Rousseau is actually, because I've li- seen him listed anywhere from 6'5 to 6'7, and anywhere from like 245 to 260. So he is somewhere in that range. Um, listen, this is what people wanted Marcus Davenport to be. Because like, you know how Marcus Davenport was like, 6'7", 260, speed rusher, had no pass rush moves, had no production. Uh, this this is Marcus Davenport with production against actual talent. Uh, yeah. He had 15 and a half sacks as a redshirt freshman last year. Insane, insane on a very mediocre Miami team. <laughs> Nonetheless, it was definitely impressive. He he's definitely edge one right now. I don't. It's and not he set did that as a rotational guy. See, that, he did that with Jonathan Garvin and Trayvon Hill, both of whom were terrible last year. And I had to watch, I had to study both of them. And I kept thinking one, like, before I found out who Gregory Rousseau was, when I started scouting this year's class, I'm like, man, there is a dude that is not either of these dudes, like, either of these guys, that is just cleaning house. Meanwhile, I'm having to watch Jonathan Garvin and Trayvon Hill, who are both undersized, just get mauled by ACC offensive linemen. Yeah, so I mean, it should be interesting to see. I think he's he's definitely edge one right now, but it should be interesting to going from that rotational role to being a full time, uh, you know, guy, uh, three down guy. I think that's always the biggest transition to make as hey, a. Yeah, that's the last year. I mean, so we saw Epineza, You know, it didn't go too well, uh, and he still ended up what being a second round draft yep. pick. Uh, so I mean, he still ended up good for him, but. It was first-round hype with him. You know, we were talking about him more than Chase Young, and then Chase Young just blew us away. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for Russo. I think that, you know, obviously he has a lot to improve on. I mean, a lot of this edge class is a ton of upside, but very raw, very uh, unrefined in terms of pass rush ability, uh, ability to stop the run, shedding blocks. No doubt that he has a speed and uh size to, to be that edge one, but now it's going to be about uh, applying the technique and applying, uh, you know, pass rush moves uh, more than a speed rush or a bull rush. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, well, he's getting a little bit of help uh, on the other end because they just brought in uh, Temple transfer uh, Quincy Roche, who is another one of these small edge rushes, man. He's like 6'3", 6'4", 235. That that Zach Bond type build, now that automatically is going to cap him at probably like a top fifty type player on some NFL boards because of the, the issues with length and frame. But this this kid's a boss, man. Like I love Quincy Rush. He's if I look at my at my board right now, he's edge five for me. So they have two top five edge rushers. All right. In fact, like you know. Literally three of my top five come from the ACC, which you would not expect. And there are more guys that we'll talk about in a, in a minute that are coming from the ACC. 
there's a lot of pass rush on this, you know, in this conference. Yeah, they, they have a lot of undersized guys that can get to the quarterback. I mean, Duke has a pair. Uh, you know, we talked about Pitt already. Um, you know, we, we're going to talk about some more later on, too. Uh, so there's a lot of guys like that uh, in the ACC, but across college football. They're not, there's not these ridiculously big, freakishly athletic guys this year uh, in terms of top uh, top like line edge players. So it should be interesting to see uh, whether or not, well, who emerges as, you know, the, the rest of the edge spots fill in. Uh, you got so many different, uh, not necessarily styles, but different body types. Uh, you got the shorter guys that are kind of undersized. You got the taller guys that are kind of lean. So it should be interesting to see what happens in terms of did they put more weight on? Is the production going to increase? Are there traits going to be there? Things along those lines. So I think this is probably one of the more wide open edge classes we've seen in quite some time. Definitely, definitely. Moving on to the team that I have projected as the fifth best team, uh, that's the Virginia Tech Hokies. Uh, now, there are three major prospects that, that you can uh, talk about with them. First is our guy on the offensive line, Christian Derrissaw. Uh, you need a good game to watch of his? Watch the seven-overtime game against uh, North Carolina. They're in a single bad rep in that entire game. That's impressive for a man that's 6'5 and 310. For sure. Yeah, I mean, he, he's going to be one of those solid tackles that doesn't necessarily get first-round buzz, but he's going to be uh, a pick, probably second, maybe third round uh, that he gets, and he can be a plug-and-play uh, day-one starter. I think that he's that good. He's proven that he can, uh, you know, hold his own against some of the top talent in the ACC. Um, and you definitely have to be excited, especially, uh, you know, with uh, Heaton uh, Hooker now coming into the fold and he kind of revitalized that team the second half of the season. Uh, Darius was definitely a big part of that in, in protecting him. Uh, and then looking on their defense, they have a really good undersized, well, not undersized, but kind of stout in terms of just being short. Um uh, linebacker in, Ra- in Rayshard Ashby. He kind of, he's built like Devin Bush. He's 5'10", 240, run-stopping beast, uh, 120 tackles, five sacks, three forced fumbles. He's decent enough in coverage that it's not like he's going to be a two-down thumper. Uh, this dude has some upside. I don't really know how high his ceiling is, but I know that his floor is a guy that's going to be picked in like, you know, early stages of day three. Yeah, he, he's at best. Uh, I mean, at worst, a rotation guy or a special teams guy. He definitely has the the makeup and the ability to go sideline to sideline and, and track down ball carriers. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But now it's, you know, kind of figuring out whether or not he's going to be, you know, a more high-end guy, could be a potential star in the NFL. Uh, I think he's going to be one of those principal linebackers, not necessarily – someone that's going to um, blow you away, not going to be a, a Devin White or, uh, you, know, you know, some of the linebackers that were picked this upcoming year. Uh, but I think he's going to be a solid player that can be a media contributor. Uh, I think probably a rotation guy. Uh, someone you can, you know, can depend on uh, from down to down, not necessarily someone that has super, uh, you know, I guess limited uh, ability but definitely, uh, you know, coverage, I think, for linebackers, coverage is, is one one thing that 
you know, not necessarily everyone can have or, or gets. But I like him as a player. I was watching him uh, last week and very impressive. You watch uh, Caleb Farley, who we're about to talk about next, and you see Ash just making a bunch of plays in the backfield and uh, just just stopping runs, you know. So he's definitely someone that flashes on film. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's let's just jump right into Caleb Farley. Our guy Matt Valdivino says that uh, when you look at his technique, it, it compares similarly to Jeff Okuda. That is some high praise, but he backs it up, man. Got great uh, like closing speed. Uh, he's sticky, man, and not in, like the handsy way. He's sticky in that you just can't shake him. All right, he he's great in man-to-man coverage. Um, six to two, you know, two hundred. Uh, projected to run kind of you know uh, low four threes, high high four fours. Uh, sorry, did I flip that? High four threes, low four four. There we go. Uh, you know, the kind of that like four three eight to four four two range, which for a dude that size is just freakish. Um, man, the, he's good, and and teams are gonna want to just avoid him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even last year they started avoiding him, uh, and it it, it kind of sucks when you, when you watch films against films of pop corners because a lot of the times teams are just aren't going their way, like last year. Like watching a Cuda film, it was like, when is he going to get thrown the ball? You know, thrown at. You're throwing at Damon Arnett and Sean Wade and some of the other guys in the secondary. Uh, same with, with Caleb Farley. They're not throwing his way. He's in a hip pocket of receivers. Uh, like you said, a great break on the ball. There's an out route I was just watching the other day that he pretty much ran the route for the receiver and could have probably picked six in if, if he caught the ball. Uh, but yeah, he, he's really good. Um, I think, I think he definitely has consideration to be CB1. Right now, I think I got him at probably DB2 or 3. Um, but I, I really like his game and, and really like what he brings to the table. Definitely, man. I think Virginia Tech is, they're starting to finally come back into their groove. Like, there was a bit where Virginia Tech just kind of fell off and became like a six or seven win program. And I think, they're starting to under Justin Fuente, and I think a fire was lit under him because he was on the hot seat at about the midway point last year. They made the switch to Hendon Hooker, started winning some games. Maybe they're going to be able to stay back in the top 25 consistently again. Uh, you can only hope because that's a good program that just kind of fell off, and it really There's, had a lot. It had a lot to do with the coach retiring. So yeah, Frank Beamer, uh, he was a stable. Uh, when you went to Virginia Tech to play there. It was a tough game. I mean, Ohio State, I think they had a nightmarish game one time. I think got I can't remember what score. I think it was Braxton Miller. Maybe it, it was Cardell Jones. It was somebody, but he got sacked like eight times. Uh, and that was really the last time I remember Virginia Tech being really good. It's been a while since then. Yeah. Uh, next up, speaking of teams that haven't been good in, in, in a little while, Florida State. Was there a worse hire? A worse hire? Then Willie Taggart to Florida State. I can't remember one. Nobody came with such fanfare and then immediately dropped the ball quite like Willie Taggart. He he was only coached there for like two years. He was yeah, that was awful. Quick. Well, it was going to be hard to, to follow up. Um, Jimbo. Yeah, Jimbo Fisher. Um but man, he he really he really turned that program in, in, into dust uh, very quickly. I mean, they they, went they weren't from, even respectable by the end. 
yeah, they, they went from like, you know, competitive every year, you know, at least eight wins, eight, nine wins to like barely Five. being, barely being bowl eligible. So and it, then missing it this year. Yeah, it, it, it's been bad. I mean, I think, uh, probably, I mean, granted, I think they would lost their core, but what was his name? Uh, not, I think it was James Blackman. They, again, when they played Alabama, he got like, Oh, no, that was the other Francois. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He tore up his knee, and it was pretty much downhill from there. But, man, since then, it's just been worse. I mean, James Blackman is really small, 6'5". He's bulked up to 180. Behind the worst offensive line. Behind probably the worst power five offensive line outside of Rutgers. There's our Rutgers mentioned for the podcast, by the way. Which is funny, because... Apparently they have a draftable guy this year. Uh, I, I refuse later. to believe that. I refuse to believe that. Um, but yeah, like, so bringing in Mike Norvell, you hope that that offense starts to look something like Memphis did. That one of the one of the reasons I wanted uh, Cam Akers to return to the school last year was because of Mike Norvell, and I felt that with a strong year of tape, Akers had a chance to maybe be RB one. Like, if you swapped out, let's say, Chuba or Najee or ETN uh, goes pro and flip, you know, so one of them goes pro, probably goes in around where where Akers was taken. Akers comes back as a strong year in that Memphis-style offense. No pandemic happens, let's say. Um, you might be looking at RB1 Cam Akers. Unfortunately, that it didn't happen, and now they got to start over mostly, on, you know, on offense. Uh, they do have Tamorian Terry, who is a freak athlete, 6'4", 210, uh, insane speed. Problem, dude got hands like feet. If he, if he yeah. catches three balls, he's bound to drop at least one. Like, Yeah, I mean, it, I see so many people high on him, you know, and, and want to kind of join the bandwagon and hop on the bandwagon. But you, you got to catch the ball first, man. That, that's the most important thing. Um you know, whether how much upside he has, you know, whether he, you know, is, has breakaway speed or insane speed for his height, you got to catch the ball first. I mean, we've seen so many careers be defined by not being able to catch the ball. Extremely talented, but, <laughs> yeah, being able, being able to catch the ball is the first thing. So, you know, he, he's very talented, I think still very raw. Uh, got to catch the ball consistently. Uh, he still needs refinement in his game. I mean, Playing in Florida State's offense seemed like a backyard game of football pretty much last year. Uh, scramble draw all the time for the quarterback. Uh, hit or miss, really. The offense was just so inconsistent last year. You know, well, offense like, you know, Terry, you got Cam Akers last year. There's just no reason for them not to at least scrape out six wins. But Florida State, man, they they just know how to waste talent. Yeah, well, hopefully that comes to an end. Uh, now, we're going to move over to the defensive side. There's a dude that a lot of people, a lot of people are talking about as defensive lineman one, and I'm assuming he's yours, the one we mentioned earlier in Marvin Wilson? Yes, sir. All right, now, you're going to have to explain that to me, because I, I don't see it with him. I, I, I see, like, a top 50 player, but I've seen him in, like, people's top fives. He's not top five for me. I don't think uh, Twyman nor uh, Wilson is, is probably top ten for me. I think they're both in my. Like, I'll, uh, I'll put it this way. I'll put it for context. Jalen Twyman is twentieth on my board. Marvin Wilson is thirty first. Yes, yeah, so I, I I don't have either of them going early in the first round. 
I think they're both like late first rounders. Uh, I just like Wilson a little bit more, just a little bit more disruptive, especially in the run game. Uh, I think that obviously he has his ups and downs. Uh, when everything's going well for him, he is a monster, but you know, game isn't going well. He's having a rough game. You know, things are, are really down the dumps for him. Uh, but I, I think that he, you know, has just slightly better traits, slightly better uh, disruptive ability than Twyman. I think it's pretty close in terms of one and two. Uh, you could almost have him as 1A, 1B, in my my opinion. Uh, but I like Wilson just a little bit more. Um, but, you know, the, the, the glaring, you know, errors of his game, you know, are, are apparent. You know, you can't pretend like they're not there because they are. But I, I really like him. I think that he's going to really turn out to be uh, a solid uh, player in the NFL, someone that uh, is going to be disruptive for, for whatever team picks him up. Yeah, I mean, that is true. Um, he has the upside. I think he's a really solid player. He's, he's one of those, like, kind of uh, high floor, but I, I think his ceiling is maybe a little capped off. Uh, and he's a great leader. He's a great leader. Obviously called Mike Norvell out on his BS about meeting te- you know, with, the, with the team when that wasn't, in fact, true. Um, you know, I just... I don't know. He ends up on his back a little too much for my liking. I think he's a good player. I just... I think he's... I think some people want him to be in that, like, oh, he's, like, the Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw of the class. And he's not. He's, like, in that Ross Blacklock, Neville Gallimore uh, tier. And that's fine. But just put him where he needs to be, which is that, that next tier back. I think people need to kind of cool the Jets... Uh, Asante Samuel Jr., uh, the corner, he's good. He's just really handsy uh, and and really, really raw still. Uh, a little stiff-hipped, too. Uh, but, you know, he's going to have his fans in, in NFL locker rooms due to, due to just being, you know, the son of Asante Samuel, who won a couple of Super Bowls. And um, I think Hamza Nazarildine has the chance to be the highest-drafted player from Florida State because this dude is 6'4", 215, 220, had it not been for an ACL injury, would have declared last year likely, would have gone high, probably would have gone ahead of guys like Antoine Winfield, probably would have gone ahead of uh, guys like Grant Delpit. Uh, we're talking about a dude with coverage skills that's, bit, that's that big and can hit that hard. These guys go high. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, he's he's an exciting player. I mean, ACC has a couple of uh in this class. Uh, you know, you got uh, Nash Dean, uh, Nash Dean, yeah. Uh, got Andre Cisco. Uh, we just talked about, uh, the pit safety. Um, his name is escaping me too. Uh, Paris Ford. Uh, so yeah. they have a couple guys in ACC that have been really, really, uh, standing, standing out, man. I think they, they probably, in, in terms of the power five, they probably have the best group of safeties that are draftable. Uh, there is definitely up there. Um, I would say, yeah, I would say probably ACC or big 12. Yeah. That, I mean, TCU, uh, we, we already did that, but, uh, the TCU tandem of safeties are, is definitely going to be, uh, two the two safeties we're looking at potentially a safety ones. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about four states defense. I think that they're going to be the ones that carry this team while they go through trying to, 
familiar with Mike Norvell's offensive scheme and, and ability, so we'll, we'll see what kind of happens with that. Definitely, definitely. Um, all right, I think we can call it quits on talking about uh, Florida State and how just dreadful. I mean, they could easily just just fail miserably again, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me. Let's talk about Louisville. Um, there are some fun dudes on Louisville's team. I mean, uh, Mikhail Cunningham, uh, the quarterback, he's raw, 6'1", 200, decent deep ball thrower. Um, the problem is just accuracy and touch. Uh, and a decent athlete. I would take a shot on him on day three. Um, I think he's probably, like, I wouldn't, if I'm looking at the quarterbacks right now, uh, you know, he's in that, like, Spencer Sanders, Jamie Newman, Kenny Pickett type, uh, type tier. That's a, that's a day three quarterback. And that's something, something that you can develop because the tools are there. I think my favorite player on their roster is, uh, is Javian Hawkins. Um, I didn't know what to expect when I sat down and watched the film. And I saw this play against uh, Wake Forest where he – it was only like a gain of I want to say like 15 or 20 yards. It wasn't like this big like 70-yard touchdown or anything where he like has blazing speed. But he juked uh, a defender like out of his cleats. And then as soon as he basically ran past that dude, he just like stiff arms the soul out of another Demon Deacon uh, defender. And I'm just like, yep, you know what? I like it. I like it. And then, uh, there was another game, uh, that he had, uh, against Syracuse. He hit, he hit a spin move so nasty that, like, this Syracuse defender, I don't know anything about the Syracuse defender, but he was up on milk cartons the next week. Like, he just, time stood still for him because he just, like, stood completely motionless. And then basically, you ever see that Ralph Wiggum gif? where he just starts rolling down a hill. That was that Syracuse defender. All right, he got stopped frozen in time. Uh, that spin move was that nasty. Um, yeah, I'm a big JV and Hawkins fan. I I have him ahead of some some folks that, that are getting major buzz. Uh, I have him ahead of guys like Puka, Will, uh, Puka Williams. I have him ahead of our guy, uh, Justin Henderson. Uh, sorry, Justin. <laughs> Um, Rakeem Boyd, Max Borgie, I, I have him ahead of all of those guys. Um, and it's because I really think if he just bulks up a little bit, then we're talking about a guy that you could probably give a healthy workload to at the NFL level. Yeah, I mean, uh, I saw you pretty much, uh, you know, tweet out some of those plays you just mentioned. Uh, from what I've seen, I like him. I haven't taken a deep dive into this game yet. Uh, but yet again, uh, you know, guys like Puka Williams, they, you know, he has, he has some, some legal issues he's dealing with right now. Um, but he, he's small, you know what I'm saying? I didn't, I didn't, I don't know. Puka Williams is going to be, uh, every down back. He might turn to a slot receiver, might be a Tavon Austin type of guy. We don't really know what's going to happen with, with Puka Williams in terms of being a running back the next level. I, don't, I just think he can sustain the amount of hits, um, you know, injuries will come from him playing running back uh, on a consistent basis. He's just way too small. Uh, but, you know, from what I saw from Hawkins, he looks like a really good uh, really good running back. I haven't taken a look at him, but uh, just from the plays he showed me, he definitely has some talent. Um, you know, Tutu Atwell. That was going to be my next guy. Yeah, Let's talk about uh, him. Definitely... He's good. He's fast. Um, has a blazing speed. Just 
so small. Like 155 pounds is just... And that's his listed weight. That's his listed weight. Now, okay, I will say this. I, I got a bit of a chuckle when Bruce Feldman released the Feldman's Freak list and had him listed at like a buck 80. I'm like, no, 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 no. Louisville lists him at 155. <laughs> I mean, maybe he bulked up, but still, that's still not a lot. You know, it's still that's 180s. But, yeah, man. Like, you look at, I, I think our guy, uh, like, one, uh, Trevor Sycama on their podcast was talking about, like, comparing him to some of these smaller uh, wide receivers in the NFL and, like, you know, John Ross is small, 175 pounds. J.J. Uh, Nelson, for, I want to say he's still on the Cardinals, is small, 170 pounds. He's, like, 15 pounds uh, lighter than, like, the, the the lightest wide receiver in the game. Hell, remember Trendon Holiday, the, the punt returner for, like, the... the yeah. The, the um, Broncos. Broncos and, and the Texans? He was, like, 5'6", but still, like, 165 pounds. Yeah, I mean, pretty much those guys. A lot of the similarities are special teams returner guys uh, that you know pretty much get in space and just let them work speed, but they can't they can't consistently take every down in the NFL. They can't take every down snaps. Uh, so we, like I said, I, I like him as a player. He's incredibly fast, incredibly fun player. Uh, but you know, we've seen those type of players in college and seeing how they pan down the NFL, and most of the time it, it doesn't work out to their favor, or they're considered one of the best receivers in the NFL. you got to be at least 200, man, to, to last in this league. I mean, guys 250, 260 flying around, I mean, you, you're not going to be able to survive those hits day in, day out. And, like Marquise Brown is 25 pounds heavier than him. Yeah. Marquise Brown. got to be at least 190, man. You yeah. got to be. You, you like you you've really got to be big and like he is fast. The problem is when you're like I get the sense like Marquise Brown was a, was a fast dude who played football or, or yeah, at first and he developed into just a fast football player. Tutu Atwell is a fast guy who they've put a, a helmet and shorter pads on. Like yeah, yeah, like. I just I don't I don't really see he's he needs so much work. He needs so much work to even be considered possible for this year. Um we'll see. Mo- moving on, let's talk about the Duke uh pass rushers. I mean, they have some dudes on offense. They have Chase Bryce who, I mean, if you want to compare him to basically the last no- two notable uh, Clemson guys that were forced out by Trevor Lawrence, like Kelly Bryant, I, he's he may be on that. Like Kelly Bryant may be a little bit better. Uh, he can't be worse than Hunter Johnson because I'm not sure there. I'm not sure there's a quarterback in America that is worse than than Hunter Johnson because that that dude was bad. Uh, but Chase Bryce, I, wa- I actually watched all of his throws. I will will compile in this article, and sure. He played rather well. He throws an, uh, you know, a, a very accurate ball. The problem is when you're going to Duke where you're maxing out at guys that are four stars. Maxing out. If Duke gets a guy that is a four-star recruit playing football, they've hit the lotto. Those second, third string guys he was thrown to at Clemson, those are five stars. 
There's a significant talent drop. Those offensive linemen that he's got protecting him are four and five star offensive linemen. Those offensive linemen he's going to have protecting him at Duke, those are two and three star guys. Yeah, like like we were talking about last week uh, before you know podcast got messed up. You know he's going to have to elevate those guys. It, it's it's not going to be a situation where like you said you're throwing to Justin Ross, throwing to T Higgins, uh, some of those talented guys Clemson has had over the years, throwing to guys that. You know, like you said, two, three stars that, you know, are good, but they're they're not going to blow you away like some of the, the bigger athletes, four stars, five stars. So it's going to be about him developing as a quarterback and, and continuing to, to be, you know, what Clemson recruited him to be. And now you're getting your talents to Duke, where a team where the quarterback position outside Daniel Jones has really been non-existent uh, over the last decade, really. I mean, you really haven't heard much of Duke quarterbacks or Duke school, school positions in general. Um, so it, it's, it's going to be a situation where he's going to have to come in and immediately uh, elevate these guys and, and play how Clemson kind of recruiting him to play and, and be that guy for Duke. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, Duke has been pretty much hit or miss over the years. So they'll have a good season go back to where they were. It's, they, they're they never really consistently good. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm not expecting a whole bunch out of Duke this year. I would like a nice surprise. I think seeing Duke good in football would be nice, but I don't see them being like the North Carolinas of the world and, and teams like that. Now, when you look at Duke, I think you really do have to look at, at the edge rushers, and they complement each other so perfectly because you have Victor Mukaje, who is 6'2", 255, 260, Strong dude, beats guys with with power, doesn't exactly have the longest arms. And on the other side, you've got 6'3", 6'4", 235-pound Chris Rump, who can't really beat dudes with power because he's he's undersized for the position. Like it's not like Quincy Roche where he's like two forty five or two you know, or so, and he's playing kind of that like stand up edge rusher that that Zach Bond was playing. No, no, he's got his hand in the dirt at like two thirty, but he's got arms down to his legs. Like, you know, down to his knees, and he's got length for days, and he's got speed. So they complement each other so well. They just, they both just whipped on Miami's horrendous offensive line last year. And I, I think that Rumpf has a really high ceiling. I think that Demukage is probably going to be your guy that you can get in like the late stages of the, you know, of the draft. I would not be surprised if with a really good season, Chris Rumpf. If he puts on size, if he let, let's say he gets up to like six three, two forty, two forty five, and has like a ten sack season. Now he had six and a half last year, but let's say all of that comes together. We're talking about him going round one. I, I mean, like I said, like we talked about at the beginning, uh, the, this edge class is so unpredictable. You just don't know what you're going to get uh, out of. Out of players at the pretty much Gregory Russo, so I think it's possible. Uh, got to put on some more weight, obviously, uh, and got to continue to be disruptive, and, you know, I don't know their schedule this year, but when they play those big games, if you have to show up and, and really cause problems, uh, I don't know if they play Clemson or, uh, you know, North I Carolina. You. Hang on, hang on. Let me find out. Dude, like you said, this is great radio. Uh, let's see, what do they got this year? All right, so their non-conference schedule was supposed to be Mid-Tennessee State, Elon, and Charlotte. 
Uh, they start against Pitt, then have Wake Forest, NC State, North Carolina, Notre Dame, uh, Georgia Tech, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Miami. All right. So, of that, you are getting good offensive line play from Notre Dame, Notre Dame and Virginia Tech. It's time to eat. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you got to. I mean, even against Pitt, not necessarily a, a great offensive line, but uh, you know, good offensive line a, coaching. Yeah, you know they. they yeah, so I want to see them against those guys and consistently win and see how we can win consistently. You know, is he is he gonna have the speed rush? Is he gonna add some pass rushes? Also, I think those are always kind of the questions, especially this edge class, uh, whether or not they're going to be able to do those things and and have that high-end production that you look for in, in a top-edge guy. Yep. All right, moving on to our next guy, because, I mean, man, I didn't even realize we've been talking about the ACC for over an hour. Uh, <laughs> next guy we can kind of cycle through. We start kind of losing uh, players as as their sets being less talented. I think that this is a good way of us to tackle it, because last, when we tried with the Big Ten, uh, we lost track of teams. We, we lost track of Wisconsin. We lost track of Minnesota. Um, Virginia, they got a six foot seven kind of linebacker edge hybrid in Charles Snowden. I don't know what, what how where to play this kid. Two thirty five. He's lean. He can't really do a whole lot in coverage. So I get the feeling that just put on twenty pounds and become a defensive end. Um, Virginia lost a lot of talent last year, and I don't know if they're going to be able to to just kind of bounce back as as seamlessly as some might think. I don't know what your take is on it, but I have the same sentiments. I think that it's going to be hard to replicate the success they had uh, last year, um, and even in the previous year. I think that it's going to be hard to replace a quarterback position. Uh, I think receiver they lost one of their top receivers. Uh, they they lost a bunch of talent. I think that Snowden is he just might as well become an edge guy. Um, he has a length uh, and size, uh, put on some more weight. I just don't see him as a, a stand-up linebacker. Uh, I, it just, just not enough fluid movement, in my opinion. Coverage skills not really there. He's just kind of a stuck-in-between type of guy. Uh, he's not, it's not your Isaiah Simmons where he can play multiple positions really well. Uh, he's, he's definitely the opposite of that, and he just needs to stick to one position and, and fire, figure out the, the best spot for him. Not, not only scheme-wise, but his NFL future. Uh, you know, you know whether with whether that even <laughs> where that may lie. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited to see uh, how Virginia b- bounces back. I think that this is probably going to be a struggle year. Uh, new quarterback, pretty much do everything, but uh, it's Bronco Mendenhall, right? Yeah, Bronco, Bronco Mendenhall. Okay. He, he's done a really good job at Virginia. Uh, he's really turned that program around and, and made them, uh, you know, not necessarily a, a championship type level team, but a, a team that competes in ACC and not someone people can just shoot off a list and say, oh, we're going to beat Virginia, you know. They're going to be a tough team. They're they a well-coached uh, well team, fundamental team, uh, but we'll see what happens with them this year. I don't, I don't see a lot from them. Yep. Uh, next up, I got Boston College. I'm, I'm really glad that Boston College finally decided to get, some, like, a better coaching option in because for years, Steve Adazio just kind of, let them be a six and six, five and seven, seven and five team, and waste good players like Zach Allen, waste good players like Harold Landry, um, by just not really 
caring, just wanted to get to a bowl game, not really wanted to compete. They're bringing in Jeff Hat, uh, Halfley, who's the former uh, Ohio State defensive coordinator. Um, ironically, though, most of their talent comes on offense. Now, I'm going to be honest, I haven't really scouted a whole lot of Boston College. Their tight end, Hunter Long, he's getting some buzz. Uh, he's a big-bodied dude, but they need to see the ball in his hands more. Uh, Tyler Vrabel is probably their best prospect. Uh, redshirt sophomore offensive tackle. Question as to whether or not he's going to come out. But kind of has, like, their highest floor. Uh, they got, you know, Alec Lindstrom, whose brother went in the first round a couple years ago. Uh, Zion Johnson, who's a, a, a graduate transfer on the interior of their offensive line. Um, one of my favorite guys is Max Richardson. Now, he's the one where I've probably watched the most film on. Six foot, 230. Uh, now, when you say that, when you're a linebacker, you think, okay, so he's, he's probably going to be decent in staff on the run. And he's going to be like a sideline to sideline guy that you can use in pass coverage, right? You would be wrong thinking that with Max, with Max Richardson because on pass rush, uh, I'm sorry, on passing downs, he's going after the quarterback. He's used as a weak side edge rusher. And I just need to see him show that he's, he is in fact, uh, competent in coverage this year. That's, that's my big thing with him. If he does, we're looking at like a round three running back. As a uh, running back and linebacker, God. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like it seems like every year or every couple of years. I mean, obviously, yeah, Luke Keekley back in 2012 from Boston College, but it feels like you know Boston College produces pretty good linebackers that are pretty good linebacker prospects. Uh, they, they, you know, he. I'm not gonna say reminds me of Luke Keekley, but he he definitely has the ability to. I think probably day two, day three guy, uh, a solid linebacker. Uh, I think that, you know, you know, while people, you know, say day two, day three guys are not necessarily great, I mean, for a linebacker, I, I, it really doesn't matter no. uh, where you pick is you can have undrafted guys, fifth, sixth-round guys. Oh, look at, look at Buffalo, Matt Milano, who is a – I believe he's a Boston College grad. I, I don't remember if he was even drafted. Uh, Matt Milano was, uh, he was drafting around five. He's, he's a leader on that Buffalo defense. So it really doesn't matter when you're drafted as a linebacker. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't want people to think, you know, when we say day two, day three guy, that he's not going to be important. He's not going to be someone that, you know, is going to be talked about heavily. And I think he's going to be obviously scouted and, I think he's going to test probably moderately well and become probably a third or fourth round guy. Uh, I don't see him jumping up and having some crazy Jordan Brooks type of, you know, rise. And that's I, fine. I think he's still going to be a good linebacker, though. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, you, he doesn't need to have that, um, that like, superstar type uh, rise. You could, there's a place for you in the NFL on day three as a linebacker. You know, that's kind of where that position is valued anyways. You know, a lot of people don't like early investment in linebackers to begin with. Uh, but, yeah, Boston College, they're going to be interesting to see. Uh, just with the new coaching staff, hopefully hopefully it gets turned around soon because, man, they, they play some uninspiring football uh, under uh, Steve Adazio. Uh, next up, Syracuse. We really only got to talk about Andre Sisco. Uh, breakout freshman campaign a couple years ago. Uh, it was basically him, Caden Stearns, and, uh, and Grant Delpit that were talking about. It was like the next great safeties. Uh, all of them took a step back in their sophomore year. So then Grant Delpit, who's the only one that's played a junior year, 
took a gigantic step back as a junior, and yet still was somehow the best defensive back in the country. Even as an LSU fan, I know you can't explain that one to me. No, uh, I can't. But, <laughs> I, I definitely can't. Yeah, that was just such a I, – I, I'm still mad about that, and I'm still mad he went in the second round despite having, like, fourth-round tape. Um, like, and ahead against a better safeties. Anyways, um, like, we talked about Caden Stearns where, it was, like, he was held back last year by an injury, which is one of the reasons why his production dipped. Andre Sisco just is not as consistent as he was as a freshman. When he's at his best, you, there are games where I'll watch and I'll be like, yo, like, this is Malik Hooker. And then there are some games where I'll watch and I'll be like, yo, this is 2019 Grant Delpit. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just kind of hard, you know, when a guy, like, like we were talking about last week, um, you break out as a freshman, uh, you do really, these really great things, and then sophomore year you kind of struggle to, to kind of find your way and, and be that same guy you were freshman year. Um it's hard for Syracuse. I mean, they, they got blown off the table by Maryland uh, early last year, and then it, it just kind of went downhill from there. Um, but, yeah, it, what do you say? You know, you want yeah. him to, to definitely be better uh, this He's year. He's a ball hawk, but the thing is, you know, at times he has lapses in coverage, which, I mean, everyone does at times. But, man, his tackling at times can, be, can, be, can just be straight-up brutal. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, I mean, he, he's, like you said, the only draftable guy that's probably going to be worth mentioning uh, for Syracuse, but I think he has the opportunity and the ability to still be a, a really solid player with a with a really good junior campaign. Yeah, now we're getting into the bottom, uh, you know, of the conference. There is, now everyone thinks I'm probably going to talk about Georgia Tech as the worst team in the conference, and they're not. I actually want to spend time talking about them next. Because they have two really good, uh, actually they have three uh, really good prospects. Uh, one is Trace uh, Swilling, son of New Orleans Saints legend Pat Swilling. Um, yeah, first game last year as a redshirt freshman, almost pick six. Uh, Trevor Lawrence shut down Justin Ross. That's not easy to do in your first college game. Uh, he got worked a little bit against Georgia in the rivalry game. Got kicked out for. Uh, for punching a dude. What is it with, with, with ACC defensive backs and punching dudes, man? Um, I, I don't know, man. I wish why would you punch a dude that's wearing a helmet? Like, I don't get it. But anyways, like he had a good year, 10 pass deflections. He only had that one pick against Trevor Lawrence, but teams, again, decided not to test him all that much. Uh, you know, he, he, had a, he had a tough go about it with, uh, with De'Ami Brown uh, because De'Ami Brown's just a little bit faster than him, too. So... You know, you get the sense, I mean, this is a redshirt freshman that was just, you know, just picking it up, just basically thrown to the wolf, like, hey, you came here because your dad is a legend here. You probably shouldn't be the face of our defense as a redshirt freshman. <laughs> and yet he was. Um, they have a really good safety in uh, Tariq uh, Carpenter, kind of like 6'4", 230, that, like, that box safety that's just an imposing dude. Um, you know, a couple of forced fumbles and interception, uh, you know, probably going to be someone that, you know, if he gets drafted, be in that like rounds five through seven range. And then they got, they, they have punter one in the class and Presley Harvin the third. This is my favorite punter, uh, in the class. Uh, he's the only one I've watched any of because I don't study specialists because, uh, I don't care. Uh, but he's punter one, not because he's got like a really good, you know, uh, touch, but you know, like a really good percentage of punts that go inside the 20. It's not because of anything to do with his actual play. 
It has everything to do with the fact that one, you don't see a lot of black punters in, in you know in college football, and two, you don't see a lot of punters that are six foot and two fifty. Why does he need to be two fifty, Devin? I, I remember looking at the picture last. Week, I'm like, whoa, there is no way he is that big. Uh, sure enough, he's that he's, big. He is full. Uh, I I don't know why he needs to be two fifty. Maybe he's you know what? About... I should try to see if I can get him on the podcast. We'll find out why he needs to be two fifty. I mean, might as well. Uh, this dude is bigger than Max Richardson, who I just spent like five minutes talking about. Uh, bigger than uh, Chris Brumps and uh, some of the other two guys we mentioned today. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's like two times bigger than like Batwell. Dude, so, Rayshard Ashby is a big linebacker at 5'10", 240. He's bigger. I, I just don't understand it. He might as well just play linebacker at this point, but <laughs> he can punt. So, I mean, you got to do what it do, I guess. But, yeah, that would for some reason, that was the wildest thing I've I mean, ever heard. So, Georgia Tech, they're at the bottom of the conference because when you think about it, like, last year was going to be a tough year for them. They're a traditional triple option team. They have been for the better part of a decade and a half. And then they got to switch to a pro-style offense. Like, those guys were not brought in to play that offense. And yeah, it's it shows. And that's it's fine. A... It's fine. They just, oh. they got to get, they got to get the right guys in there. Uh, one, now, I mean, I think that they'll probably still be like two and ten, three and nine, maybe four and eight, depending on what ends up happening with the schedules and whatnot. But I, I mean, bowl eligibility is probably way out of the question. I don't think that they're the worst team in the conference, though. I think that's North Carolina State, which is weird because, like, three, remember when they were like, you know, at the top, like, it was like Clemson, and then it was North Carolina State that was that next team where they had like Bradley Chubb and they had Jermaine Pratt and they had. All those defensive linemen a couple years ago, but that that was 2018. That was the 2018 class, man. That is not that long ago. Yeah, pretty much. You also did forget to talk about Wake Forest, but oh, we did skip <laughs> Wake Forest. I completely yeah. skipped Wake Forest. Let me quickly get over Wake Forest. So they have Carlos Basham, who I think is just kind of a guy. Uh, I know some people have him really high, and I feel really dumb for skipping Wake Forest. <laughs> I really do, uh, because they have Sage Surratt, who I think is, like, one of the top five or six wide receivers in this class. Um, but, like, let's talk about Carlos Basham, because I've seen some people list him as, like, edge two, edge three. He's edge 11 for me. He, he, he is, I mean, he was listed as one of Feldman's freaks, but what he does on the field does not match up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely get that. I mean, it's... It's just one of those uh, situations where the guy is uh, a freak athlete, but he just can't put it all together. He, he reminds me of Jordan Willis out of Kansas State from 2017. I think it's a, it's a decent comp. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he's, he's just really just unrefined, you know. Like you said, like we uh, both mentioned, he is on Feldman's list, but that doesn't exactly equal to production and, and being that guy, so should be interesting to see. I mean, Wake Forest defense was pretty good last year, but it'll be interesting to see what he does this year. I mean, they don't have the talent that they had last year. I mean, uh, Justice Bernard, I think that's probably a name that people kind of overlooked in his past draft cycle. He was a really good linebacker for them. Um, so, I mean, I, I would like to see him produce more consistently. I, I guess we'll see the traits, see the potential, but it's not there yet for me. Yeah, uh, so since I did skip over uh, 
Wake Forest. Let me just say that they are the 11th ranked team in the conference for me. So they're ahead of Syracuse and Georgia Tech. Let's, can I get back to shitting on North Carolina State? <laughs> yeah. Go for it. All right. So I, I actually pulled up my 2018 big board now. Here's some of the talent that they were dealing with literally two drafts ago. So 28, we just did 2020, 2019, then 2018. You had, uh, Bradley Chubb, my third overall player. Then, hang on. I actually just had, uh, had it set up and then I lost it. So yeah, Bradley Chubb, third overall. BJ Hill, also on the defensive line. Top, you know, you know, second round, you know, player for me. Naheem Hines, third round player for me. Justin Jones, the other defensive lineman, early day three. Jalen Samuels, offensive playmaker, didn't know what to do with him. Still, really dynamic player. Great for that offense. Contavious Street. You had some other guys, you know, thrown in there as well. And keep in mind, they still had Ryan Finley on this team. There was talent on, Kelvin Harmon was on this team, bro. What happened? In, in the span of two years, they've gone from top, t- like top 10, top 15 of the country to the worst team in the worst, like the worst team in pound for pound, the worst conference. Now, I'm not saying that they are the worst power five team. No, 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 no. See Rutgers, see Kansas, see Northwestern last year, see Maryland. All of those teams are now better than the North Carolina State, but something's got to give, man. They were literally a top 10 program in the country three years ago. Yeah, fun fact. Uh, I played against Bradley Chubb and Justin Jones in high school. Uh, Humble which was funny. Yeah, w- which was funny that you mentioned them, especially Justin Jones. I actually played with him in middle school, uh, and he was not the player he is today. But moving forward, yeah, North Carolina State fell off pretty much a cliff uh, in terms of being – relevant. I mean, they, they lost so much talent, so much uh, pieces that made them a, a decent team. I think they upset Florida State one year, I think. I can't remember that correctly. Or Yeah, or, that would have or, been probably that 2017 year. Yeah, uh, and, you know, they, they looked like a team maybe could turn a corner, but they they just didn't pan out, uh, and they really have not been the same since. So, so you know what, Dave Dorn... A couple years ago was being sorry. Hang on, my head set. Dave Dorn a couple years ago was being linked to Tennessee, and he turned it down because big things were ahead at North Carolina State. Would you be surprised if he's let go this year? Nope, nope. It like, might be it, time it, for a new face. It might be. It might be. And there are some good coaches that, that that I think could could do some stuff down there in Raleigh, but it's it it, it it's bad right now. Uh, so there you have it, guys. So we we've spent. A decent amount of time uh, going top to bottom uh, in terms of the conference. Um, yeah, again, apologies that this wasn't out last week. Um, we have a way to make that up for you this week. There is a second podcast coming this week uh, that will be posted a little bit later. Um, but, yeah, so go ahead, find the uh, the article version of this on Blue Chip Scouting. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MikeH underscore draft. You can find Devin at RealD underscore Jackson. Follow the show at Big Shots Pod. Follow Blue Chip Scouting at Blue Chip Scout. Uh, did I miss any of the plugs? No, I, I think we think we got everything. Uh, you said the YouTube channel too? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sub to the Blue Chip Scouting YouTube channel. Uh, it's just Blue Chip Scouting. My interview with uh, Rhett Lewis is up there as well. Uh, again, if you haven't checked that out, whether it's on the podcast that we that we posted last week, 
It's only 15 minutes. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, funny thing before we, we sign off. Uh, I was talking to Rhett about the Manning Passing Academy, and this is in the inter- this is in the uh, the interview. And I was talking to him about the Manning Passing Academy, and there's the third Manning brother that is known for being the smartass, the funny one of the family. That is Cooper Manning. I referred to him in the interview as Preston Manning. Preston Manning was a Canadian politician in the early 2000s. I honestly do not know how I made that mistake in my head, but yes. And the thing is, Rhett is so nice of a guy, he didn't even correct me on it. Wow. Yeah. I was about to say, is there uh, a Manning under that name? But nope. Not. Nope. Immediately when I think third Manning, I think of Canadian politician Preston. I don't know what that says about me. Yeah, I mean, but it seems like we're never going to escape the Mannings because they they got Arch Manning is coming up here soon. It's probably going to be a a top five quarterback in whatever class he comes out of. Uh, I think he's going to be class of 22 high school. Uh, We're we're not going to be able to escape the Mannings, unfortunately. Yeah, but anyways, guys, that's going to do it for us. Um, Until next week, actually not until next week, until later this week, we'll see you around.